I'm Scout Meredith Best, and I'm a Clark Farm Student Project Manager, and I'm here today with Stephen Rubin and Julie Kastorf, who are the creators of the Project Shale Play. Both of you, welcome, and thank you for making the time to speak with me today. Thanks very much. Good to be here. Yes. My first question for both of you is, how can art help envir highlight environmental and contemporary issues and give a voice to those who are marginalized? Well, I think one thing, I mean, art, that's a big, that feels like a big category for me, but I could speak for our project. I think one thing our project has been able to do is to get very particular. So I think when we think about environmental issues, it can feel overwhelming. And we see these images in the media, like the fires in California or the polar bear, like clinging to one little piece of an iceberg. And they almost become cliches. We know it's happening somewhere and we know it's bad. And there's a feeling of helplessness and it can almost be alienating. We don't know we don't know how to connect with it as humans. And I think one thing our project has helped me to do anyway, is to locate my imagination and my emotions and my, my thoughts in, in very particular places and attach them to, very, to particular individuals. So I think just really getting to the particular and slowing down and listening to one person's experience with one gas company at one place is one thing that the kind of, of art practice that we engaged with, it's one thing that can do. And it's, it's not a direct path to policy change, but it's an indirect path perhaps. Thank you. Professor Rubin, is there anything you'd like to add? Yeah, that's, well, I think it's, I, I would just say that art has a, art has a place, you know, it should have a seat at the, at the table. I think art can, art can move us. Art, art can, can motivate us. Art can, can, can remind us of the, of the urgency of this. I, I think also, I think kind of related to some of what Julie is talking about in terms of the particular people, particular places, kind of hearing their stories, reading their, their voices, that you, you get a sense of, of how multiple people from different perspectives are, are engaging with it. And certainly, certainly some of the stories, some of the people that we met who, you know, who live in, you know, who, who live in some, some parts of Pennsylvania where, where, where the resources are, are, are minimal and the challenges are, are great. And to, to learn about their 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 efforts and their and their fight, you know, sort of a, a, a sometimes a David and Goliath effort. But it, you know, I think when you when you when I think about people like like that and and kind of read their read their stories and, and hear their voices, I, I I find that you know like incredibly incredibly motivating, incredibly inspiring, and you know not to be you know too like you know, Lala about it, but just more like it's, it's, 
it's important to remember that there are there 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 are people dealing with this every day and 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 in the trenches and you know to some extent I think as as academics we have you know because our our salary comes from 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 teaching and our research and all you know we have a certain privilege that we can we can afford to like not think about some of this every day right whereas i think if you're living next to a compressor station if you're if you're sometimes living next to a, you know a frac site or a well pad or even if you're you know in a situation living in a part of a state where there's so few opportunities where where fracking is one of the few places where you can you can find some some, some income uh, you, know, you you can't just ignore it you can't just you know kind of have the have the benefit of you know living far away paying none of the consequences of this and just you know getting getting gas or getting you know heat your home that way or putting you know kind of cooking your food from it not having to pay you know like there are there are people out there who are who are really more on the, on the front lines of this i think it's really important for us to us to remember remember that so i think art can play an, an important role in, in that. Thank you so much for both of your answers. Professor Castor, if this question is more directed to you, since I know you're from Pennsylvania, um, Professor Rubin, perhaps you are too, but in what ways did being a PA native help you connect with the subjects of shale play? You know, the story I often tell about how I got involved in this was a story that it was a it's sort of a gut reaction that challenged my arrogance as a PA native that I, you know I kind of thought I knew everything that I could see in Pennsylvania I could identify and figure out what I was looking at you know because I had parents who had come from the agricultural ridge and valley and I'd spent a lot of time on farms but I grew up in southwest southwestern Pennsylvania so I understood the kind of rust belt industrialization but then when I saw this this fracking stuff going on on the side of the ridge, it was very disorienting and it challenged that sense of certainty that I think, you know, those of us who kind of identify with Pennsylvania and its history, which is also a history of extraction. So that's probably the first way, but then the second way more practically is that I could I could call on personal relationships with people who are still living back where I grew up and they helped me to make connections and to meet people. And at the very least, they gave me names and phone numbers so I could start calling and trying to find my way. And, you know, in the way that that kind of research happens, you talk to one person and they say, oh, but you know, you really should talk to so-and-so. And once you get involved in that process, you know, way leads on to way, as Robert Frost said. Thank you. And I do have a question for Professor Rubin as well. Were you inspired by any particular photojournalist for this project to have highlighted social and environmental issues? I know from my own research and studies, I'm thinking of examples of photojournalists like Dorothea Lang, whose work during the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl were particularly striking and really served to spearhead reforms and bring those about. Are there any photojournalists who have impacted you and that you think of when you are shooting photos for this project? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Dorothea Lange because she's her, her work has, has been a strong and early influence on, on, on my work. And I would say 
Dorothea Lange, as well as a number of the other photographers working during the during the during the depression, during, as part of the Farm Security Administration, the government program that was that was 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 documenting kind of the conditions of the of the depression in the Dust Bowl. Um, so people like Walker Evans or Arthur Rothstein, few other few other folks, but all part of that FSA effort. On a more contemporary basis, I I would say that some of the some of the photographers who were kind of at, at the in the early stages of this project who were at the same time photographing Marcella Shale across Pennsylvania. There was a, a, a really fantastic project called the Marcella Shale Documentary Project uh, that became a, a book, became a, uh, an exhibit, a traveling exhibit that traveled around Pennsylvania. It may have extended beyond Pennsylvania to other, other parts of the Marcella Shale and nearby Ohio. I know some of the photographs did, but that, that exhibit and, 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 the, and the book that was produced, I think was, was influential to me in, in seeing how they, how, they, how they did the project and how in-depth in they went, um, how, how close they got to the, to the people. I think also how they portrayed the landscape, but because it was a project done by, it was like a collaborative project done by multiple photographers. Each of them kind of brought to the project their own, their own specific interests and their own specific backgrounds, and I think their own kind of focus to the to the work. So, I think that kind of contributed to the, to the to the work I was doing as as, as well. Thank you so much. During your presentation, you shared some of the stories and photographs from Shale Play. What about these particular stories and people stood out to you? And were there any stories or photographs that you wanted to include in Shale Play but were not able to do so? Well. Certainly, some some photographs. We spoke about this a little bit today during our our, our visits um, with the art sustainability class. But certainly, there are a number of, of photographs that did not that either did not make the book or were not even taken out of out of respect for um, the people that we were talking talking with, whose stories we were kind of presenting. Uh, so people who, for a variety of reasons, might might need to remain anonymous, possibly because they were in the midst of a of a legal case where they were charging a, a company with 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 damages to their to their land or to their water or to the, to their health, and people who are concerned about uh, that any any kind of image coming out, any kind of bad publicity might 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 harm their harm their case. So those those kind of those kind of stories. Let's see. I think there's a there's a photograph that I took that I did not make the book. I'm not sure it's smart for me to talk about <laughs> the reasons <laughs> why that didn't happen. No, no worries there. And that wasn't the intent of this question. I'm just curious about the process of choosing the photographs and the stories that go into the book. I think we could talk about that, Stephen. Yeah. Okay. So, so one of one of Julia's poems makes reference to the um, the Hallowich kids, the Hallowich family. It's a family that was living in, in in Southwest PA, where there was a lot of fracking surrounding them. Their their young children became quite ill, and there was some pretty significant documentation of of that of that illness and the 
um, at least from their standpoint, the the responsibility and the culpability of the of the gas company in in that in that uh, health health effect. And so that this family has you know long since settled with the company and 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 moved and left part of the conditions of their of their agreement of their kind of deal was essentially part of like a non-disclosure agreement that required that the the children the family not be able to speak about the agreement the terms of the agreement the family could not speak about i mean the parents could not speak about you know their their health effect their health impacts and but not just the parents but actually the children could not speak could not use even certain words even their young children like on a playground like could not were not allowed legally to say certain words or to talk about what it what had happened to them i mean it's just like an extreme extreme case of of a non-disclosure agreement so so i went off to just to take a picture of their of their house or i should say their former former house because uh, they because as part of this agreement they left they left the house and left that area and so you know i figured out where the house was drove up there found there was a man who was living there and i started speaking with him he worked for he was an employee of a of a, of a gas company uh, he was actually living in the house and i introduced myself i told him who i was i was told him what i was doing and i asked him to be okay if i took took pictures of the of the house and he said sure yeah you know help help yourself so i did and i was you know wandering around the 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 lawn and the property and trying to find you know a decent picture a, a good angle waiting for some good lights there was some kind of strong like large like thunderhead clouds behind it so i thought that would be kind of potentially kind of more more dramatic it would try to give the image some kind of a, a, a charge or some kind of kind of an emotional element so it wasn't just a, a plain boring picture of, of a house so i was starting to do some of that and then he comes over and says to me um you know, I've, I've spoken to somebody in, the, in this in the company now, and actually, I, I need you to I need you to um, stop taking pictures, and in fact, I need you to 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 delete all of those pictures that you that you took. And I'm thinking, hmm, that's not something I normally do. I mean, I'm certainly trying to be very kind of mindful and respectful of of him and his his concerns. And I just simply tried to play, say, like, look, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not doing this big expose. This is this house already even exists. There's pictures of it exists on the Internet. You know, that's partly how I even found where it is. National, it's been featured in National Geographic. You know, I, I'll be happy to leave. I won't take any more pictures, but I, you know, I, I really would, would rather not delete the pictures. And he said, oh, no, you're you're going to delete those pictures. I said, well, I, it's not my practice of, of deleting pictures. He says, well, then you're not leaving. So it was quite a, it was quite a standoff. And, you know, he was, let's just say he was, he was a lot bigger than, than I am. And I didn't quite know how I, how I would extract myself from this. And, you know, I'm trying to think, you know, what do I do here? Do I delete my pictures? And it just did not feel like the right thing to do. I might do something like that if it were, you know, maybe a specific individual I might have photographed who really no longer wanted those pictures to be used. But this was just a picture of a house. And again, it felt like this house had already been photographed, it had been published, it was on the internet. It was so I just I, I it was really a standoff. I was really concerned and fretting and I didn't know what to do. And I um 
you know, I don't feel necessarily very good about this, but it was the way I was able to extricate myself, myself from the situation. And it was being in some at some level unethical. But I when he wasn't looking, I told pulled out the little you know, flash card, the little memory card on my camera and replaced it with another one that I had like a, a separate one and then, you know, pretended like I was deleting all. And then I, I showed him, look, you know, I hated to do this. I did not want, but I'm, I'm willing, you know, I did it. And so I just, you know, I lied through my teeth. That was the only way I was, I was able to get out of there. I mean, I just, I considered like making a run for it. I knew that would not help. I mean, he was talking about calling the police, you know, if I didn't, if I didn't cooperate and I knew it would be my word against this this guy's word. And I thought, like, here I am. The police would side on on his side, on the company's side. You know, they would have probably accused me of trespassing, all that kind of thing. So I, you know, I told him that I deleted the card. I showed him on the, you know, the LCD screen on the back of the camera. See, there's no pictures. There's nothing visible, nothing left. And then that's what allowed me to to extricate myself from the situation and and leave. But but that picture did not run in the book. Uh, that's quite the story. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> well, but it's important. OK, I want to say two things. One is in the book, there is a piece called Sealed Record, which is the non-disclosure agreement between that family and a number of natural gas companies and the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection and some other people they sued, that non-disclosure agreement was secret and it was meant to stay secret. But there was an environmental group from New York State and a newspaper in Pittsburgh and they got a judge to unseal it and make it public. So you can read, I, I took the legal document and I just took things away in the style of, of an early 20th century American poet, Charles Reznikoff, who used to work this way. He would get legal transcripts and just take a bunch of the language out. So you were just left with these very intense remains. So if people are interested in the Hallowitch case, they can read the non-disclosure agreement. It's also the case that we, I mean, I think this is like such an important story to tell that we had to tell our publisher that this happened. And our publisher decided they didn't want to get sued by a gas company because gas companies have basically limitless resources compared to university presses, which are under the purview of the library. So that's not the richest place in the university. So anyway, I just think like, ah, uh, you know, it's like the compromises that we make both between our vision and what's really possible to do, but then it's also just the whole wide world that we live in, you know, and the context that we work with it. It was a great photograph too. That was the other thing. Like it was, I was so disgusted, but in the end, like we want to have a book. So what do we have instead? We have a photograph of a yeah. leak. It's of the of the driveway of the roadway leading up to the house. You can't you can't even see the house in the picture, but there is there's a driveway and there's a well Julia maybe we'll find it there. So so I mean since 
since people are not seeing this, it's just a branch that maybe got broken by something, a truck or something and that died and that dead branch is hanging over a driveway and surrounded by green in the background. So it's a kind of symbol, but the picture of the house was a really strong photograph. <laughs> That's both disappointing and frustrating that you, that you can't that you can't use it, but I suppose those tough compromises are some of the things that you have to make when working on a project like this. I also wanted to ask if you have stayed in contact with the people who you profiled in the book and how did they react to the book and how did the communities that they were a part of react to the book? Yeah, do you wanna take this one, Julia? Well, I can say that um, it was so, we were really, we were very supported by Penn State in the production of this book. Both of our colleges put money toward the publication. So the book doesn't cost an arm and a leg to begin with. And also we were able to take copies of the book back to the communities and give everyone a free copy who was depicted with an image or who appears in one of the poems. So we were able to return. And then um, the one place in Fayette County where so many of the people, so many of the poems came from, um, the, the Coal and Coke Heritage Center, which is this wonderful museum in the basement of the Fayette campus of Penn State. It's a museum that's dedicated to the coal and coke industry in that county. And it's really, the museum is, is a repository of oral histories. And it's a repository of artifacts that the community just brings, you know, miners lunch buckets and it's just wonderful. <coughs> Pardon me. Anyway, we had this reception there and all these people came. And it was very powerful to be reading sometimes some of these poems in the voices of the people in the room and to look up and see tears coming down their cheeks and to you know, in that moment, I just wondered, like, is this okay? Is what we've done okay? But people were very grateful, I think. And some people bought extra copies to give to public libraries, which felt really affirming of the project. And I have remained in touch with a few people, but it's one of the, the strange things of this kind of work, you know? when, you know, artists make stuff. So we made a thing, but we made this thing out of relationships in part. And so then what, what happens to those relationships? And that's a thing I live with. And it's a thing I don't know how to answer because I can't, I can't maintain all those relationships for sure. Thank you. Professor Rubin, do you have anything to add? I couldn't say it any better than that. So, thanks. That was very powerful, Professor Kester. Thank you. And for our last question, I wanted to ask, what do you think the future looks like for the communities that you visited and the people that you interacted with? And what do these communities want to see moving forward with regard to fracking and how it is managed and viewed in Pennsylvania? I don't think this responds to your specific question about like particular particular communities, but 
um, a lot of what I, I, I read these days talks about how fracking is, is becoming like increasingly tenuous and increasingly difficult from a, from a financial standpoint. Right, that there's just like the from the from the bottom line perspective, things don't look good, right? So it's not necessarily because everyone has seen seen the writing on the wall and realizes that that fossil fuels are a thing of the past, and we have to you know flee from them as as quickly as possible, at you know or that modest books of of poetry and photographs have you know taken taken down an industry <laughs> i think it's just partly like the economics and that it's a the combination of you know like over oversupply and and low low price and the fact that that green energy has has become solar and wind in particular have become so much more more affordable um, and that the the, the gro growth in the industries is 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 there and jobs is is there. So I think that's I think just like in terms of like the larger picture, I don't I don't think it's going to you know happen overnight or anything. But certainly there's I think this sort of directional trend going in that in that way, that direction. I I think also maybe that at least in southwestern Pennsylvania, people have seen these boom and bust cycles before. You know, they've seen money come in the community and money leave. And I think at least some people all along recognized that that was probably gonna be the case with this too. And how people responded to that varies. You know, some people were like gonna make all the money they could and some people were, dismissive of it. Thank you. And thank you both so much for your time, this interview. I really appreciate it.